everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Bali. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, it's good to see you again. You were out all last week on vacation. Was. How was that? It was lovely. Thank you very much. It was a nice... Uh, Nice vacation after Channel Con um, up in Maine at the coast where I go every summer. Um, had good weather. Saw a bunch of family. Um, it was nice. I seem to have brought home a little head cold with me, unfortunately. That goes with the territory of uh, my, I have cousins who have little little creatures that you and I don't have anymore in the uh, child world. But uh, they tend to be a little germy. But otherwise, I had a great time. It was fun. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no fun to come back with something, but better than having it while you were there, I guess. True. I was very healthy while I was there. <laughs> yeah. I just had to come back to it now. I'm, I'm surviving fine. It was, it was a nice break. So thanks a lot. Good. You yeah, we, yeah, we barely you kept things together while you were gone, but we, we managed to do it. So I know very difficult task without me, I'm sure. <laughs> So today we have a guest, though, and I'm really excited because we have a guest who used to work at CompTIA, too. So it's like old home day for us. That's right. That's right. This is the first time having a CompTIA alum as a guest. Yeah. And we are really excited to welcome Corey Simpson, who is now the COO of the International Legal Technology Association. I get that right, Corey? Yeah, that's it. It's a mouthful. That's why we just go by Elta. <laughs> Well, welcome to the uh, to the show. Uh, we wanted to have you on. We wanted to talk about automation a little bit. I think we've talked about it here and there on Bali, but we've never really focused on it. Um, and and so as the COO, you have IT working for you, but you also oversee a lot of operational stuff. So you see both the technical side of the house and a lot of the business process, right? Yeah, that's correct. In fact, when I first came to Elta, I was the chief technology officer and then have worked my way into a little bit more responsibility. But uh, my heart is definitely near and dear to the technology side of things. Oh, well, very cool. So why don't we jump into it uh, at a really high level, talking about automation. I think there's automation on the IT side. And I think more and more companies are looking at automation on the business side or automation of their workflow. So how do you see those two things playing out? Um, do, do you see them both happening, you know, quite a bit in your organization or other organizations? And, you know, how are they kind of the same? How are they different? You know, what's the situation there? Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, what it really comes down to is, is like a, a standard cost benefit analysis of doing the task to automate. Um, so whether you're automating IT processes or you're doing business workflows depends upon your business. Like what, what is the what is the high volume task that you do that it has the value for automating? Because some people think you can just sort of like turn it on, turn on a bot and things are going to work. And that's not exactly how it goes. So um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Like if you're a, an IT managed service provider. You know, you might automate the provisioning of new users because that's the thing that happens every day with your clients going out. Uh, but if you're if you're an organization like Ilta, you know, we only bring on a, a few new people every year. And so automating that task wouldn't be worth it for us. Uh, or like a community banks, another example, you may not bring in a lot of new people, uh, but you probably process a lot of loans. And so automating that task is where you get the value. So that's it's really how much volume you have and, and kind of what's the level of effort to deliver that volume that really determines whether you're going to do an IT process or a business process. 
I like I like that. I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about what you don't automate, because I think when people talk about automation, employees can get nervous, obviously, about what that means for them um, and, and their and their jobs. But also to your point, not everything is ripe for automation and it really does go down to whether it's something that's a high volume activity that you do or a process that you do within your organization. Um, how do you figure that out, though? I, I'm, I'm curious, and you can speak from your experience um, at your association. Um, do you just sort of sit down and sort of weigh like, okay, this is a this is a high volume activity. This isn't. Um, uh, do you bubble that up from the employees who come to you and say, hey, this is something that we do repeatedly every single day. We could maybe automate it. How does that work exactly? Yeah, it, the equation really comes down to um, what, what is the volume of the task you're doing and what is the cost to that task to an employee doing that task. Um, there are some very niche cases where you have a really high value uh, activity that needs to occur and then you could automate that. Like, for example, in the stock market environment, um, you know, it's not RPA in its true sense, but but back in the day, traders used to use spreadsheets and they said, when this number hit here and this number hit here, execute this trade. So that's a high volume. Most of the time for and for most of the organizations we see, it's around, OK, how, how many like how many environments do we have where we've got a lot of staff doing the same high volume, low value activity and where we maybe see transcription errors and data entry errors and then let's go ahead and automate that. So that, that's kind of like, if you remember rolling this out is a software development project. And so you have to balance out that cost against, okay, what are your savings? Where are your cost savings against that? Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting. I, as you're talking, Corey, it's making me think of the way that we've started talking about emerging technology is that most of them are not an end unto themselves. I, I don't think a lot of companies are saying let's get some IoT in here. Let's get some artificial intelligence in here. I think that they're looking at it from a broader perspective and kind of saying, okay, this, this overall process, it can be helped by Internet of Things devices or artificial intelligence or whatever. And I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like automation is the same way that, you know, in your experience, do you, do you feel like you would typically, you know, be proactively saying, let's do automation, or are you looking at processes? And you're, you're always trying to say, how are we refining processes? How are we getting the job done? And then sometimes automation becomes the way that you do that. It's kind of a tool in the toolbox rather than, like I said, an end unto itself. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there's a general theme around emerging technology that you have to consider. I mean, the way technology is just continuing to advance more and more uh, presents all these emerging technologies that are going to take over the world. And you have to decide, well, which ones do you are going to be the most value for your your business? And that really starts with well, what problems are you trying to solve with your business? And then which piece of emerging technology is going to help you do that? Um, if you, you know, if we're sitting here and I'm saying I'm in the legal technology space and so blockchain, smart contracts, you know, there, there's the talk about them taking over the world, but there's still a lot of business going on. And if we went all in on blockchain, uh, you would miss out on a lot of business opportunities to improve. So I think when it comes to RPA, um, I wouldn't look at RPA and say, OK, how can I apply this to my business? more than look at RPA, get that one page or cliff note of understanding the value. And then as you're going through your business and you're saying, hey, you know, we have a ton of costs associated with processing this high volume activity, or we have 50 people on a call center doing this task. Is there a way that we can 
automate that task so that those people could then do something that's more higher value, right? That's more fulfilling for their job because there's nothing from a knowledge worker perspective more more um, demotivating than having to do the same task, right? Like pushing the little button every day. It just doesn't, it's not satisfying. Yeah, I think you you make a good point about knowledge workers and, and just workers in general. And I think we can't really talk about the topic of automation without discussing the impact that that may have or the impetus for doing it might be to reduce your headcount within your organization. And from what I'm hearing from you, Corey, is that isn't the way that you're that you're approaching it and that automation is more um, a way to free employees to be able to do, do more strategic type activities and not work on the lower level um, high volume things. But can you talk a little bit about how an organization, though, that is going to introduce some automation features sort of um, helps the staff not freak out? That would be like the most blunt way to put it. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and what's the messaging there? Yeah, that's that's a good point, uh, Karen. I mean, I think uh, a lot of people think when it comes to RPA, you're just going to buy a bot, plug, turn it on, and then all of a sudden all these tasks are going to go go away. But in the end, it is a technology project, and you have all the stages associated with the technology project. So you have to, at the very beginning, define what you're going to do, and then you have to design it, build it. And then there's that whole rollout piece, right? And, and back in my Accenture days, that rollout piece was like 50% of where projects that failed, that's where they failed. So you have to appropriately plan with your staff okay, what, what are we doing? What are the changes we're making? And then craft the message and the changes in the organization so that they see the value for themselves, right? Like the what's in it for me sort of position. I mean, if I was, if I was sitting on a, in a call center and I was doing the repetitive tasks for 40 hours a week and they said, look, we're going to go through this change and it's going to take care of these provisioning user tasks all the way through. And so your job, when you get one of these requests, is to be put this in and keep touch with the customer, have a softer you know, relationship, softer skills, keeping that conversation going and show for them how this is going to benefit them as well. Uh, then you can find yourself in a position where you're you're rolling out the RPA and you're making your employees a lot a lot happier, a lot more engaged with the work they're doing. They're seeing the opportunity and the growth associated with that. When it comes to that rollout that you talked about where so many projects tend to fail, what are some of the specific challenges that, that companies hit there? I, I'm guessing that there are some technical challenges and then there's probably some challenges within the processes themselves, maybe uh, kind of recognizing that they're not quite as perfectly repeatable as somebody thought they were or that there are some corner cases that are really difficult to put into code or, or whatever it might be. So. What are some of those specific things that cause companies to stumble a little bit when they actually get around to trying to implement automation? Yeah, you know, I, I put those problems into sort of three categories. Um, the first one kind of being the functional and the change management aspect. The, the one, the second one being sort of the technical and the process problems. And then the third one being how um, unintended business model changes are coming in. So with that first part, like any technology projects, you have to do uh, your due diligence with the change management. And as you see IT roles, more and more specialty roles are coming out in change management to help with that delivery because that is where projects fail. So you have to think through, okay, what is this changing my business process? What is this doing to the data itself? What is this doing to my staff? And then plan for all those activities and, and over communicate that rollout. Because if you try to roll out something in a, in a big fatal swoop without beta testing it, or if you try to roll out something 
and people wake up one day with their job changed to not knowing what's going on, it's just going to be very disruptive. And change is always disruptive. And so you want to you want to like give people that sort of heads up, tell them what's going to change, change it, tell them what changed afterwards and go through that whole bit. So that's the big part on the change management side. On the technical side of things, I mean, you could have the standard problems of just poor delivery of it. And that just kind of is what it is. Uh, but I think the, the best phrase I heard around this was, uh, if you have a bad process and you automate it, then you just accelerated the bad process activity, right? <laughs> like if something doesn't work and you're like, hey, let's make it more efficient at not working, then that's all you're doing when you automate a bad process. So you you, you can improve a process as you're going through this effort, but you're just increasing the scope and the risk of the project. You're much better off having a process that you've gone through a million times with staff and saying, yeah, this is the cleanest way to do it. All I need you to do from a developer perspective is get the computer, get the bot to do it rather than uh, rather than a person doing it. And then the, the third category, this is interesting. This is kind of new, new popping up is uh, a lot of these systems in the ecosystem are in a SaaS environment and you're paying by a per user license. And so, um, Caroline, you mentioned that the staff savings side of things. Well, the SaaS vendors are seeing a reduction in the licenses that they're selling for these activities. So the same amount of work is getting done. Um, however, they're only selling one integration license rather than, you know, 25, 50 staff licenses. So they're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we, how do we compensate for that? Because we still got to stay in business and we're still doing all these things. And, and some of them have done things like increase the price of the integration license cost, which is fine. I and mean, that's an easy thing to do. And, and, um, and accounts for the loss and, and user licenses. But some of them are starting to say, okay, forget the license bit. Let's see how many transactions you do. So now if you had 20, 50 people doing, you know, a million transactions and their cost, well, I'm just going to charge you for the million transactions, but you may find yourself paying more money for that activity because you automated it, because you have the system doing it. So you have to be really close with your vendor and seeing kind of what changes that they're making too. Otherwise your total cost of ownership could increase. Yeah. We see that a lot with all of the, the SaaS vendors and with MSPs, as you probably remember, it just had a price and and it changes all the time because the technology and and automation and things like that um, change all the time so if you priced per device for instance in the msp world that may not be how you're going to make the most money today it might be per user it might be a combination of the two or in this case for you when it comes to automation um you've got fewer people to be charging so fewer licenses on individuals but the transactions themselves can be hit up so i think it's going to be one of those like rubik's cubes that they're constantly trying to solve it's how to how to make money off that i think we had one other thing we wanted to talk about seth and correct me if i'm wrong but that was beyond some of the the technical automation that we're talking about here that is certainly the the domain of the it department it would be more about general workflow and how to automate that. And I don't know if this is in your wheelhouse, Corey, or not, but as we acknowledge workers and just workers in general, how we all work from getting, you know, um, this piece of the task from point A to point B and what we do. And it isn't really an IT thing necessarily. It might be moving a piece of paper. I don't know what it is, but that general workflow, does that fall into the types of considerations you make when you're thinking about automation projects as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when you're when you're trying to work through the project, um, there's a lot of different groups that you could have involved and people and all this. And I think if you just go back to the very basics of software development lifecycle, is that you've got three roles that you need to account for. You need the business process owner, so the, just the business side of things, and somebody knows who how it really works, right? The SME in the situation. You need the functional person 
who can be in there and help out with coordinating the activities. So they're kind of project manager, they're the requirements gatherer, they might do the business process mapping activity. Uh, and then you need the technical person who's the developer who's, who's actually going to build it out. Uh, so if you're, if you're automating a process that's very simple, uh, or you have an incredibly skilled developer, you know, maybe that functional role can be combined with the developer and you just have, you know, the business person, or if you have a business person who's also, um, functional in nature, it has PM work, you know, maybe they could cover that aspect aspect. Uh, but I think those, those three components are what you have to consider for any process that you're automating. And then you also have to keep in mind, uh, the bigger, the process, the more systems that you touch, the more people that are involved. And the more changes that you make within the process just increases the risk associated with the scope of the change that you're making. And so, um, you know, bigger projects require more planning, more effort, more testing to make sure that they work. And so you want to keep that in mind as you're trying to decide what what processes to roll out. I mean, the one the one tip I would give on that, and this is with which just over my experience with systems integration, is that the smaller change that you can make at a time and incrementally move forward on that the less disruption you're going to have. And with robotic process automation, you're not, you're not doing a, a transformation of your environment. So you don't need to have this big major rollout where you're saying we're no longer using the system and doing these things. We're going to totally do this. You're just trying to optimize the environment you have in place. Like RPA doesn't change any of the systems you have, and it doesn't even change the data. It just changes who's doing the work. So that makes it pretty easy. It makes it one of the best candidates for doing beta changes, small changes, rolling out a little thing at a time and moving that forward. And that'll help too with, with your point earlier about the staff and change management aspect of it and making make sure people don't feel like they're losing their job because this is this is being rolled out. Yeah, the, the general sense I'm getting as you've talked through all of these things is that automation, like so many other things, I think tends to get viewed as this cure-all. Like, you know, a company is thinking, okay, I'm going to automate and then maybe I can reduce some staff or maybe everything will be simpler. And I think everything that you've talked about definitely makes it sound like you can reduce certain problems. You, you can, you know, take away some of that repetitive nature. You can reduce some errors that might come from, you know, human data input or something like that. But you're introducing a lot of issues as well, um, whether that's the complexity of the system that you're building or actually tying together the technology with business process or moving into a cloud environment and understanding the new cost models there. Like everything's, everything's changing, right? And it's not clear that the overall picture has become less complex of a problem to solve. You've just, you've, you've solved certain problems and you've introduced you know, some new things that you have to think about. And I, I think that it just continues to drive home the point that we're going to need a lot of technical expertise. That technical expertise is going to need to be even more integrated with the business. Uh, and, and people aren't just going to keep saving money. You know, this isn't the old IT model where you can just keep driving costs down. Like you can definitely achieve great things, but there will have to be investment there and you'll have to do the calculation of return on investment. So uh, it's a really powerful tool, but it doesn't come for free. Um, that's, that's the yeah. main thing, you know, that I'm getting. So I'll kind of give yeah, you the, the last word on all of this. Yeah. I would just add to that comment that, um, you know, if you automate a process, 
you can't change the process or you have to change the automation, right? So, you it, you know, if you, I, I mentioned loan documents earlier, like if that process isn't changing very much, then great, automate it and move on with life. But if you want to change things, like let's say you need to start adding a new field, something really basic, uh, you've broken the process, right? Because that field is not included in there. So if you, when you roll out these things and you make these massive savings and you have this big celebration party, just remember that if you change that anything in that environment, the data, the platform, the system, um, the the location of the platform. If you're in the cloud or how you know, however you're hitting the API, any of that stuff changes. It has to change the uh, it changes the process too. And so um, that's just just definitely something to consider. So you know, I think the the final word I would say on it is, uh, first of all, robotic process automation is a terrible name for it. So we need to figure out something better. Like just yeah, think about robots. I mean, let's be right. Honest. You do. Yeah, everyone's you're thinking about a little arm picking up a tire and putting yeah. it on the car. Like that doesn't work. But having said that, the value of RPA is definitely here to stay. And people are figuring out um, all sorts of fancy new ways to plug it in. And the nice thing about it is that you don't have to have a master's degree in technology. You don't have to have this big background. You can look at the one pager on RPA to get the understanding of where the value is and then figure out how to apply it to your business if, if there are areas that make sense. I think that's a great stopping point for us. Um, I want to thank you, Corey, for joining us today. Um, it's been nice to catch up with you again. Like I said, old home day. Your former, yeah. formerly were with us. We're still here, but, um, <laughs> but glad, glad to see that you've uh, that you've flown uh, flown high here, and that's great. Um, Seth, any final words? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I think this was uh, insightful. I think this definitely builds on a lot of the things that we've been talking about with automation. Uh, so really appreciate you joining us and want to say thanks as always to our producer, Andrew McMillan and Carolyn. I'll see you next time on Bobby. Sounds good. Thanks. <laughs>